the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Social scientists try to deal with the complex issues of human behavior through the techniques of behavior modification, which is based basically on a system of rewards and punishment. And it only has limited success. You can train behavior in a person either through the motivation of great rewards or through the motivation of severe punishments. But again, it only addresses conduct and not the core of a person. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Jeremiah. The field of psychology and similar social sciences will never be out of work as long as sin exists. These groups, however altruistic their motivations might be, generally ignore the only true solution for the core problem at the root of humanity. As Pastor Gary will explain in today's message, these groups focus on modifying behaviors, and they blame genetics as the cause. They're right to a degree. Sin has been passed down from generation to generation, and the only solution is to let Christ change your heart. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Jeremiah chapter 16 as he continues his message, A Change of Heart. The problem is the heart. It's always the problem. Now, in the Hebrew, which is the original language of the Old Testament, the word heart is levav, or often abbreviated as simply love. And it means a few different things. In addition to just, you know, being the the organ which sustains life, uh, it can mean the use of the word throughout the Bible means the inner being, the will, the conscience, moral character, seat of emotion. In other words, where where we feel things. God challenges the people of Judah in regards to their stubborn heart here in chapter 16. This was not the first place that he challenged them about their stubborn heart. A lot of times he even refers to it as their stubborn evil heart. I'll share a few verses with you. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. The Lord said, they have not obeyed me or followed my law. Instead, they have followed the stubbornness of their hearts. They have followed the Baals, which were the false gods of the Canaanites, as their fathers taught them. Also in Jeremiah chapter 11, verses 7 and 8, I warned them again and again, saying, Obey me. But they did not listen or or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubbornness of their evil hearts. 
In chapter 13, he says something similar in verse 10. These wicked people who refuse to listen to my words follow the stubbornness of their hearts and go after other gods to serve and worship them. And then our verse here in chapter 16 that we've been looking at, verse 12, but you have behaved more wickedly than your fathers. See how each of you is following the stubbornness of his evil heart instead of obeying me. And then what Jeremiah does is he kind of summarizes all of those verses into what has become one of the most familiar verses in all of the book of Jeremiah. It's in chapter 17, and it's verse 9, and this is what it says. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Now, in a few other translations, I want you to see similarities, but also how some of the other words emphasize other aspects. In the New King James, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. If you're reading for the ESV, it says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it. So in other words, whatever Bible version you are reading from, the human heart apart from God is deceptive, it is wicked, it is sick, it is beyond cure. Meaning, we can't fix our heart, but God can. God can fix every broken, sick, and wicked heart. This is why, if you're there in your Bibles, look at chapter 17, verse 14. This is why Jeremiah says this in chapter 17, verse 14. Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved, for you are the one I praise. In other words, he realizes the problem of the human heart is something that we can't fix. There's no remedy ourselves to fix what is broken within our hearts. But God can, this is why Jeremiah says there in verse 14 of chapter 17, heal me and I'll be healed, save me and I'll be saved, for you are the one I praise. Okay, what he's saying is that God can heal the broken and the sick heart, and that God can save us from our sins, and that God can transform a person from the inside. You see, wicked, evil behavior is simply the result of a wicked, evil heart. Wicked, evil behavior emanates from a wicked, evil heart. Where do you think that things like murder and theft, rape, sex trafficking and lying and slander and such come from? Well, it comes from the heart. This is why Jesus would say in Matthew 15, 19, he says, for out of the heart... Come, evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. And that wasn't an all-encompassing list. He's just talking about, hey, listen, where do you think evil behavior comes from? It comes from an evil heart. So if we can just change the heart, then we can affect behavior. But the problem is that apart from Christianity, a lot of other attempts are made at simply modifying behavior, and it never really works because it never addresses the core issue which is the heart. Jesus even said that the content and quality of our words emanate from the heart. In Matthew chapter 12, 34 and 35, Jesus said, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he adds in the next verse, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. So in other words, what we see happening in terms of behavior is just basically the manifestation of what's going on in the human heart. And we can fake things for a while, but the true core of a person is the human heart, and that is what will dictate what ends up being the behavior of that individual. 
And again, besides Christianity, however, other world religions, and social science for that matter, will try to do a lot of things to try to curb human behavior with external motivation. But Christianity is the only world religion and the only um, system at all that makes the claim of internal transformation. See, the rest of the world, world religions and social science is looking at external motivation. How can we adjust or control behavior? Christianity asserts internal transformation is, is how we change behavior. And internal transformation is something that can only happen and miraculously happens through a personal relationship with the Lord. See, when you look at other world religions, many other world religions recognize a problem with human behavior. They recognize the problem of the human heart, but they offer no real solutions other than trying to say, if you just simply devote yourself to a structured system of good works, that will curtail your bad behavior. Or if you punish your body enough, then that will curtail bad behavior. But that only addresses conduct and not the core. It's like trying to treat only the symptoms, but not the disease. Social science is in the same predicament. It's very similar to the way that social scientists try to deal with the complex issues of human behavior through the techniques of behavior modification, which is based basically on a system of rewards and punishment. And it only has limited success. You can train behavior in a person either through the motivation of great rewards or through the motivation of severe punishments. But again, it only addresses conduct and not the core of a person. You know, take, for example, when you look at, at how uh, animal trainers will train ferocious animals or wild beasts. So, you know, take lions, for example, or, or elephants, and they train them to do tricks and, you know, in the circus and all this kind of stuff. Uh, a, a trainer will typically use the same kind of behavior modification techniques. It'll be a reward and punishment system. So it's, it's a reward and it's a whip, a reward and a whip. And it can train their behavior only to a certain degree. But the animal must always go back in the cage. Because you can never change the nature of the animal. You, you can only temporarily modify their behavior through a system of training. This is the tragic reason why, and we heard it even just this week, this is the tragic reason why sometimes even the best behaved animals who have been trained will attack their trainer, or, so, or an elephant will stampede its trainer. Be, and it happened just this week. A 22-year-old young lady as an intern down at this conservation in North Carolina, uh, uh, serving as an intern, was cleaning out one of the uh, lion enclosures, and the, the lion got in there, mauled her to death. So this kind of thing happens. Why? Because you can, you can modify the behavior to some degree, but you can never change the nature of the beast. That's why the beast always has to go back in the cage. But with humanity, Christianity comes along and makes this bold assertion that through the power of God, in a relationship with Him, He can transform the inside of a person. And he can make you a new creature from within. That he can radically alter a person's heart and transform the very nature of the individual through a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what the Bible teaches. 
This is the hope of the church. Amen. Give God praise. If you're going to clap, give him praise. Give him real praise. This is why Paul will write in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Therefore, when you get this internal transformation, it then affects the external. See, when you come into relationship with Christ and he transforms your heart, it affects how you behave. You, your behavior changes. Your speech changes. Your, your, your uh, values change. Your perspective changes. Your priorities change. Because of this internal thing that's going on in your heart. And so it affects all aspects of your life. Uh, let me illustrate it uh, with this true story. Some of you might be familiar with some church history and different revivals that have happened around the world over, over the last few centuries. Uh, one of which happened in the early 1900s, 1904 to 1905 in South Wales. It was called the Great Welsh Revival. And in a period of one year, 1904 to 1905, an estimated 150,000 plus people in South Wales got saved. It was just a move of God's Spirit. It just, God's Spirit just poured out and churches were packed. And all areas of social indicators improved. When, when all these people were radically getting saved, economic productivity increased, crime decreased, jails were empty, saloons were empty. It was an amazing result to the transforming work of Jesus Christ in the lives of these Welsh people. But one of the factors that actually declined, interestingly, was coal production. Now, South Wales in the early 1900s was a coal mining industry. That's what they survived on. And many tens of thousands of the coal miners got saved during the Great Welsh Revival. In fact, history records how many of them would leave the coal mines after a hard day's work, and they'd have church services all through the night, and they would just show up with all the black dust all over them and go right into church. Okay? Why was coal productivity declining when all the other social indicators were remarkably getting better? Here's what they discovered. The little ponies that carried the coal carts out of the mines, okay, that hauled the coal carts out of the mine, no longer responded to the commands of the Welsh coal miners. Because when these guys got saved, they stopped cussing at the ponies and kicking them. <laughs> True story. So before they got saved, they're like, you, you blankety blank, little bleeping, bleeping ponies, gah, get up there. And they'd haul the coal out of the coal mines. And then after these Welsh guys got saved, they're like, oh, little, you little pretty creature of God. Why don't you go haul, haul the little coal out for me, would you please? Just go, you gentle, sweet Jesus, I love you so much. Go ahead, just take the coal out of the, this. I don't know why I've turned into a Scottish accent, but I don't. I got saved and a lot of things changed in my life. And do you, have your, do you have you ever watched my little pony television show? It's a little, it's kind of creepy. You probably shouldn't watch it. Go ahead and take the call out for me, would you? They weren't, they weren't responding because these guys were getting saved. It's a remarkable thing what happens when, when a heart changes from the inside. Now, having said that, don't make any mistake, however. You get a new heart but you're still in an old body of flesh. And that new heart wants to do different things than your old body of flesh wants to do. And therein lies the conflict. This is why Paul talks in the New Testament about how I, there's a war going on within my members. See, because before a person comes to faith in Christ, 
and I'm just going to use this terminology for descriptive purposes. They're, they're just living old ways, so they have old heart, old ways. And those things aren't in conflict. They're just, you're just doing what you want to do because you have no real conviction. There's no real you know, conviction about certain things, and so you do whatever you jolly well want to do. It's old man, old heart, you know, uh, old ways, old heart, doing, doing what you want to do. Then a person gets saved, and now it's, now it's new heart, old ways. And those things conflict every once in a while. And you begin to realize, I'm convicted about certain things I didn't used to be convicted about, and now I feel this tension in my own life, and, I, and there's things that my flesh wants to do, and I know aren't really pleasing to God, and so now you're in this conflict. Eventually, one day, we, we, get, we maintain new heart and get new body. And so new heart and new body means no more temptation, no more struggles, no more stress, a life of eternity with the Lord in heaven. But that's heaven. In the meantime, as a Christian, you've been transformed from the inside, but you're still living in the old body. It's, it's, like, it's like taking a beat up car with a rusted frame and, you know, tires that are dry rotten and shocks that are completely wasted. But you drop a whole new engine in that car. Now you got a whole new power, all right? Whole new power at your disposal. But, but that engine is still going to be somewhat limited based on the old frame that it is within. And, and so thus the Christian life becomes one of wonderful new joy, wonderful new perspective, wonderful new values, and wonderful new way of thinking and living and, and behaving. But there will often still be this conflict within where the old the old flesh that we're still housed within, with all of its desires, wants to dominate your new heart. And that's why we have to pray as David did in Psalm 51, verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. That's why we have to still pray those kind of prayers, Lord. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. David will also pray in Psalm 86, verse 11, Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I don't want to be duplicitous, Lord. I don't, want to, I don't want to be divided in my life and in my heart. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Five quick things before we go. I'm going to rattle these off real quickly. Five quick things we need to know about God and our heart. For you note takers, here's the first one. God searches the heart. Jeremiah tells us this in chapter 17, verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. Also in 1 Chronicles 28.9, the Bible says, For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. Okay, nothing is hidden from God. He knows everything concerning every detail of our hearts. Number two, God tests the heart. In Proverbs 17, verse 3, it says, The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Now listen to that comparison there. You use a crucible for silver, you use a furnace for gold. They are both objects of, of intense heat because you're refining the silver and the gold. So you put it in the crucible, you put it in the furnace, and the intense heat uh, raises the impurities to the surface so you can skim it off and now you have a more pure substance. And in Proverbs 17.3 there, what the writer of Proverbs is saying is God will sometimes turn up the heat to expose what's in our hearts. And God tests the heart. You know, you, you and I don't really know what's in our heart when the day's wonderful. Everything's perfect. Everything, life's, life's firing on all cylinders and the birds are chirping and the flowers are out. It's, it's when someone cuts you off, off in traffic. 
and then you realize what's in your heart. It's the little things, the little burrs that get under your saddle that begin to, the irritants and the, and, and the bigger things where God might test us in larger ways. Oftentimes what God is doing is for our benefit, he's turning up the heat, he's allowing situations in our lives to expose what's in our heart so that we can get rid of the impurities. The crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but God tests the heart. This is what he did with the people of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Moses said to the people of Israel, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Now, please note, when Moses says that, he he doesn't mean that God was testing them so that he would know, so that God would know what was in their hearts. He already knows what's in our hearts. He was testing them so that they would know what was in their hearts. And God will sometimes allow different tests and afflictions and things to come our way in order to expose the deeper issues of our heart that, that we need to deal with. We need to give to Him. Sometimes we don't realize how bitter we are, unforgiving we are, angry we are, uh, resentful we are, until, until some, something impacts it and triggers it. And then, and then it comes to the surface. Well, God is dealing with us. So respond and recognize those things. Say, Lord, I know you want to get rid of this in my life. So thank you for this test that exposed it. Number three, God knows the heart. Psalm 44.21 simply says, God knows the secrets of the heart. Nothing is hidden from Him. Number four, God values the heart. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, it says, Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This verse came about because Samuel the prophet was told by God to go anoint one of the sons of Jesse to be the next king of Israel. Samuel shows up at Jesse's house, had never met the boys before, They were all young adults, except for one, young little David, who was still tending sheep out in the field. David's father, Jesse, didn't even think enough of David to invite him to the greet and meet with Samuel. So the seven sons of Jesse first appear before Samuel, and he goes down the line and discerns from the Lord, not you, not you, not you, not you, not you, even though the Bible says all of them were well-built, fine young men. David was the one, this young runt of the family, out tending sheep. Samuel said, we're just going to sit right here until you bring that other son in that I haven't met yet. And when David comes in, Samuel knows this is the one who is to be anointed the next king of Israel because God looks at the heart. Man evaluates a lot of things by outward appearance, not God. God looks at the heart of an individual. And lastly, number five, God judges and rewards the heart. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, it says, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. And at that time, each will receive his praise from God. I find that very interesting that when Paul writes that there in 1 Corinthians 4, he doesn't focus on the judgment of God per se, just that God is going to discern the human heart, and he's going to see those who love him and follow him and those who don't, and the ones who love him, he will praise, he will honor. And so God sees and God knows and God values and God judges and rewards the heart, which is why Proverbs 4.23 
Above all else, church, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. The book of Jeremiah that Pastor Gary has been walking through with you is one of prophecy. It's God's words to a nation that was facing the consequences of their actions. It's a picture of the future, but also a raw and honest look at the present situation. Jeremiah doesn't hide his emotions. And as you continue studying, you'll see his passion for his fellow Israelites and his deep desire that they turn back to God. We hope you'll tune in next time to continue studying this fascinating book with us here on Cornerstone Connection. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can listen again online at our website cornerstoneconnection.cc. We have a mobile app as well, allowing you to take all of Pastor Gary's messages with you on the go. Find a link to download on our website or search for Cornerstone Chapel in your app store. What a great way to fill your day with truth from God's Word wherever you are. Do you live in the Leesburg area? If so, we want to meet you. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible with Pastor Gary. Our services are at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. on Sundays, and child care is available. So bring your family. You'll find all the information you need about the church on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have for today in our study of the book of Jeremiah. Thanks for tuning in, and be sure to join us again for Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know